What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian. I'm Joe and Nick. What's going on, guys? And Max. Hello, everybody. And a new addition, Ian. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Um, so Ian's going to introduce himself real quick, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, um, obviously, my name's Ian. I write a lot about the NBA on the website, and and I'm sure if anybody that's listening knows me knows that I'm obsessed with basketball. So <laughs> Uh, anything and everything basketball, you could just come to me and I'll have all the answers or I'll at least act like I have all the answers. <laughs> yeah, that is very good. Okay. Um, so what we're going to talk about this week. I'm going to talk about some major football games. Um, Robbie Cano suspension, which is wonderful. Um, basketball news. And that's basically it. All right. We're going to go into football. Got it. So in the interest of time, I will be glossing over some of the games. Uh, a ton to talk, to talk about this week. Uh, so going right into it, the first game of the week we had was the Seattle Seahawks versus the uh, Arizona Cardinals. The final score was 28-21. Seahawks take it. Uh, Seahawks are now 7-3. Cardinals are 6-4. Uh, really competitive game down to the bitter end here. Uh, Russell Wilson had a pretty good game, 197 yards, two touchdowns, 126.5 QBR. Uh, so good game there for him. Uh, Receiving-wise, you saw DK Metcalf and Lockett have their usual games, uh, 46 and 67 yards, respectively. Both had a touchdown. On the Cardinals side of things, you saw similar. You had Kyler Murray with 269 yards, two touchdowns, 107.9 QBR. Um, Nobody had a really spectacular, spectacular receiving game. Uh, Ultimately, again, both these teams really competitive. Uh, The Seahawks win it by a little. We we saw the Cardinals beat the Seahawks earlier in the the year. Uh, This NFC West is such a competitive division right now between Seattle, uh, the Rams, and the Cardinals. Uh, any of these teams could really win the division. Right now, I'd probably go to the Seahawks to win, but it really could be anybody. Uh, Max? Yeah, so this game, I came in expecting a huge offensive showdown. Uh, it didn't really turn out that way. It was way more um, competitive on the defensive side of the ball, which is honestly nice to see for two teams who are known to not be very good on that side of the football. And um, – we're looking at Kyler Murray. He didn't have really a great game. Not a bad game. He still had decent stats, but just not a great game. And he's kind of showing that, you know, for as well as good as he's looked, he, I wouldn't say he's quite that player who's going to have a spectacular game every given week, you know, especially in a game like this. I think the Seahawks were due to win because they lost two straight games coming back home, especially with the way the NFC West was shaping up. I thought it was um, this game was their sort of taking. But, you know, going back to Kyler Murray, you know, I mean, he's still looking pretty good. He's still looking amazing. And when your worst games are like, oh, it's not that good. I mean, I think you're looking pretty good. So, I mean, he could get better, but he's got, I mean, he's shown a lot so far and he could continue to show us, show us with this bad game by his standards, which is saying something. I just think Kyler Murray has such room to grow. He's been so good so far and think through his, his first two seasons. So um, he may not be that player yet, but I do think he'll be that player one day. Um, if not by the end of this year, early, you know, early next season. Uh, moving on from there, we had the Texans and the Patriots. Texans take this one 27 to 20. Texans moved to three and seven. The Patriots moved to four and six. Honestly, not much to talk about this game, but just another sloppy Patriots game that is, is kind of indicative of the Patriots about every other game this season. Uh, Cam Newton, one touchdown, zero interceptions, 365 yards, 112.8 QBR. Uh, we saw Rex Burkhead, who's been, you know, we've had a their their running back core has barely been focused around James White, Rex Burkhead, Damian Harris for the past couple of weeks. Uh, Rex Burkhead is possibly done for the year there. Um, Bird had a solid game. Demir Bird, uh, 132 yards, one touchdown. Um, you know, I just, again, I don't know where the Patriots are going here. We saw the Texans on Texas side of things. We had Watson, 344 yards, two touchdowns, 132.4 QBR. We saw a typical great game out of Watson there. I just don't know 
where the Patriots are going. I don't know what Belichick's plan is here. Uh, they're four and six now. They're not really in position to get a top pick, but they're not in position to win either. They have such a veteran squad. Um, again, I don't know what Belichick's plan is here. And if they're going to lose to teams like the Texans, then they're definitely not playoff ready. Um, with, with record four and six, they're not really in position to get picks either. So they're going to be one of those run-of-the-mill squads that uh, really don't move anywhere, as we have talked about in the podcast before. What do you have to say, Max? Yeah, I just, yeah. I just don't know what to say about these Patriots anymore. They just, I, I'd say this year, they're by far the most erratic team in the NFL. You know, they'll go out and have these great games. I've talked about many times. I've, I've emphasized their performance, their performances against the Chiefs and Seahawks. And then they go out and lose games to the injured Broncos, who's horribly to the 49ers who are injured. And I'll lose this game to a bad Texans team. I just don't get how they can be so good. They can look so competitive against these great teams and then falter against these bad teams. And I, it just, and like you said, they're in a bad spot because at four and six, they're not going to get one of those top QBs. They're not even going to be close to that, but they're not going to make the playoffs, you know, four and six, especially with the way the AFC is heating up. It's just not going to happen. So I, yeah, I don't know what, what to expect from these guys moving forward. You know, I will say I picked the Texans to win this game because I thought going in, you know, the, Pats do kind of bad against bad teams for whatever reason. Sure enough, they lost. So I don't know why, but that just seems to be the way it is for them. And this year has just been on top of everything that's been so weird. An inconsistent Patriots team is just something we haven't seen in two decades. So it's uh, it's pretty incredible to, to see uh, how inconsistent they are. Um, and I think it is likely due to that quarterback changeover again on top of their veteran roster. But uh, moving on from there, we had the Browns and the Eagles. Uh, Browns take this one 22 to 17. Eagles are now three, uh, six and one. And then you have the Browns at seven and three. Uh, again, on the Brown side of things, not a great game for them, but there are seven and three. I think it's probably the best record they've had in quite some time. Uh, you know, for how mediocre I think they've been, uh, they have found a way to win a decent amount of games here. You saw Nick Chubb uh, have a solid game after coming back from injury again. Uh, second weekend around 114 yards, no touchdowns. You had Kareem Hunt, what a nice touchdown on the goal line. Uh, he had 11, only had 11 yards carry, but it was, again, nice touchdown. Baker Mayfield, not really anything impressive there. 204 yards, uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions, 96.6 QBR. Uh, again, I, I see a, a mediocre Brown squad here that I think they found a way to win games, but I'm not sure if they're really going to be a competitive playoff team. On the Eagles side of things, um, two things are indicative of this Eagles team. One, they are, they are pretty abysmal. Uh, they're not the same team that they were from 2015. I think Doug Peterson is, is officially on the hot seat after this game. Um, as well as Carson Wentz, me and Max talked about it before we got into the podcast. Uh, Carson Wentz is not the player that he once was before he was injured. Uh, I think this game really highlighted his flaws. Um, two two really abysmal interceptions, in my opinion, that are strictly on him. Um, for the most part, I just think he's making bad decisions. He's just not looking at the same quarterback. 235 yards for him, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 81.5 QBR. Um, again, uh, we're seeing an, I saw, I see a aged Eagles team, um, who's been banged up throughout the entire season and last season, they just seem to have the injury bug. Um, but on top of the injuries, which again, are understandable is some things that you can't avoid, but I think Carson Wentz inconsistency. And I think from coaching down, uh, the Eagles are just a bad team and they're, they're badly coached right now. And I don't know what the immediate solution is for them, but obviously they're going to work towards a rebuild. I think that'd be the smart moves for them although I do think they have the amount of talent to possibly win the division with how bad the NFC East is. Um, 
you know, looking at the NFC East, we have the Eagles, who aren't the first place with three wins, six losses, one tie. Uh, then you have a, a three-way tie for second place at three and seven between the Giants, Cowboys, and Washington. Um, they can win this division uh, with this amount of talent, but are they going to make any decent run to the playoffs? The answer is obviously no there. Uh, Max, what do you have to say? Yeah, you know, looking at, at this Browns team, I'm honestly not a huge fan of them. I think they're mediocre at best. You know, these bad teams, they've, they've kind of skated by – I mean, the good teams they've played and they've gotten crushed. And, you know, looking at their schedule right now, though, you know, when you look at the um, three of their next six games, you got the Jaguars, the Giants, and the Jets. And and honestly, as much as I don't think this team is a playoff spot, it may not matter how that they're winning these games barely because you they have th- three pretty easy opponents coming up and they've beaten their easy opponents and not with ease, but they've managed to win those games. And, I mean, it's all about results. I mean, this team could definitely make the playoffs. I think they're an easy out, but I, they could definitely make it. So we'll see what Can happens I there. I on the Browns real quick? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> so the Browns, they've been one of my favorite NFL teams to watch this season. And I find myself so enamored with the fact that, you know, we're, we're lauding Cleveland for not finally figuring out how to not beat themselves, right? So when you look at the Browns for the past two decades, basically, they'd obviously get killed by the good teams, and then they beat themselves against bad teams. And this Browns team, they still get killed by the good teams. Just look at, you know, their first four games of the season where they played uh, you know, the Ravens and they played the, the Steelers. And But this year, they've beaten everybody they're supposed to beat. Yes, they dropped that game to the Raiders right before their bye week. But they're running the ball. They have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's my favorite running back in the NFL. But they're running the ball and – they're, they're playing defense, and they're not letting Baker screw them over. They're taking the ball out of Baker's hand so that he, he doesn't pass the ball enough to cost them games. And so are they going to be a great playoff team? No, I, I, they're probably going to get killed in the playoffs, frankly, because they're going to be playing another really good team. But I do appreciate what Stefanski and the Browns have done in the fact that he's teaching the players, don't get in your own way. You know, if we lose to a team that's better than us, fine. But don't get in your own way and drop games to to teams that you should beat. And I can, I can appreciate that out of a Cleveland Browns team. Yeah, definitely, definitely a good point. Uh, you know, from again with the Browns team that we've seen over the past few decades, very abysmal in the fact that they are seven and three. Definitely a major improvement, especially in that run game, as you had mentioned, um, between Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, uh, been excellent this year. Um, and keeping it out of Baker Mayfield's hands has definitely improved them. And as you said, um, I just don't know how they're going to pan out during the playoffs, but uh, they are definitely moving in the right direction. And I, I do like what Stefanski has done, especially with that run game. Um, so moving on from there, we have had the uh, Steelers Jaguars, not really a surprise here. Um, Jake Luton, I think is the second or third game. I can't remember uh, as an NFL starting quarterback. Oh, uh, zero touchdowns, four interceptions, 17.3 QBR. Very, very abysmal. Um, this Jaguars team, very, very bad team, uh, bad, poorly managed from the top down, as we had mentioned over the past couple podcasts. Um, the only, again, I think James Robinson and DJ Tark have been somewhat of a, a shining star in that terrible team that, that is the Jaguars currently. Uh, on the Steelers side of things, they're the real deal. Um, you know, not the greatest game out of Ben Roethlisberger with 267 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, 94.3 QBR. Uh, but this team just continues to win, and they were, you know, great on the defensive side of things. Um, I think their offense is, is definitely above average. Uh, Chase Claypool has probably been top three rookies in the NFL this year. 
uh, coming out of Notre Dame. He's been really solid for them. Has really worked himself into the offense. Uh, and, and, you know, again, I think they're above average on offense, but that defense has been really incredible. Uh, they work really well as, as an entire group. Um, you know, that they produce turnovers. They shut down teams. Uh, the Steelers are 10-0 now. Uh, you know, they, they beat them 27-3. I can't remember if I mentioned that. Um, Jaguars with a 1-9. Uh, the Steelers team is the real deal. Uh, Max, anything to say? I'm not going to say anything uh, other than just the fact that the, the Steelers team, it's weird to say, I hate the Steelers personally, but they're playing like one of the more likable teams in the league because you know all the drama they had two years ago. Everyone's saying, oh, Tomlin should be out, blah, blah. I was on that train. And now they're looking like the best coach team like they've had in a long time. You know, these are the kind of games like I've watched Steelers over the years. They would lose almost years ago. They would have lost this game or come close to it, just play down to the other team's level. They don't do that this time, even though they kind of do that against the Cowboys. They don't have a repeat of that. And I just... I mean, I think for them, it's great to see how they're really playing together. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I totally agree there. Uh, not much to say other than that. Moving on from there, we had the Lions and the Panthers. This game was a huge blowout. Um, not something that I expected. Uh, Panthers won it 20 to zero. Panthers moved to four and seven. Uh, Lions four and six. Um, so standing on the Panther side of things, obviously they were out. They were without Teddy Bridgewater this week. PJ Walker, who made his way over from the XFL, uh, makes his first, I think, official debut. Um, not just subbing in, uh, one touchdown, two interceptions, sort of a rough game for him, 85.5 QBR, nothing spectacular there. Uh, the rushing game didn't really get going. Obviously they're still without, uh, CMC as well. Mike Davis has, has, you know, came in and done pretty well for the Panthers, uh, 64 yards and a touchdown this game. Um, DJ Moore, solid game, 127 receiving yards. I think offensively they were mediocre at best, uh, but that defense, I think really held them over. Um, I, I don't know. I, you know, I think that I think it's just indicative of the Panthers moving in the right direction, um, even without Teddy Bridgewater. And I think that the Lions are still, as we said before, stuck in that mediocre. I don't know where they're going type of team. Um, Matt Stafford, 178 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, 74 uh, QBR. Uh, with his performance this week, I've seen a lot a, of news articles saying that it's time for the Lions to move on from Stafford. Um, I'm not totally against that. I do think that Stafford is a good quarterback. Um, and definitely one of the more underrated quarterbacks, but um, you know, I'm not sure if he's that guy that's going to really take elevate this team beyond its talent level. Like you see a Tom Brady, which I think the Lions are in desperate need of at this point after years upon years of mediocreness. Um, receiving wise, they had TJ Hawkinson was their best receiver again, their tight end. Uh, you know, I just don't know where this Lions team is going, Max. All right, so it's time for me to do my usual thing of um, picking on the Lions for their direction and all that, as I do every week on this podcast, just about how do you get shot out by the Panthers? <laughs> how do you do it? You have Matt Stafford, Marvin Jones. You have Adrian Peterson is doing pretty well, and carry on Johnson, who played last year and the year before, who he's done pretty well for them. He was, he was. I remember I had him in fantasy a couple for some time, and he was doing well. And you apparently have misused him to the point where he can't come in and fill in like he did in the past. Like, what are you doing? Uh, I honestly don't know. I just abysmal <laughs> game by the lions. Again, I think the Panthers move in the right direction, but as you said, it's just the lions are too good of a football team, especially when you think about this particular season, right? They're four and six to get absolutely shut out by the Panthers. It just doesn't make much sense. A uh, pretty abysmal game by them there. Uh, moving on from there. We had the Bengals and Washington. Uh, not much to talk about here. Washington wins it 20 to nine. 
Uh, Washington's three and seven, Bengals two seven and one. The only thing to really mention here, uh, Joe Burrow goes down with a massive injury, uh, is out for the season. Uh, according to reports, he tore his ACL, MCL, um, and there's other structural damage in his uh, knee. Uh, I don't know if Maxi had seen this live, but his his leg essentially bent the wrong way. Um, it, oh, it looked almost equivalent to me, like right off the gate, sort of like an Alex Smith type injury. Um, I do fear that. Well, I think he will he recover. Yes, this may affect his career for how severe the injury was uh, down the road. Possible to tell right now. You know, he's a long way from recovery. Uh, but this, but how massive this injury is, it could affect him in the long term. Again, I hope it doesn't. Joe Burrow's a great talent. Uh, but prayers up for Joe Burrow there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this sucks really for the Bengals. I mean, they lose a guy who looks like their franchise quarterback, and you hope it's nothing major. I mean, all you can say is you hope he can come back, you know, play well next year and the years after. And for the Bengals this year, I mean, their season's all but over at this point. It wasn't already. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just time to tank for the best draft pick possible. And going off of that, I also think T. Higgins was also having a great year with in connection with Joe Burrow, and I don't think he's going to have that anymore now that Joe Burrow's gone. Um, it's going to it's going to be tough for the Bengals here, but you know, maybe beneficial for them in the long run. Let's say Joe Burrow comes back healthy, hopefully, right? Comes back healthy, performs as, as good as he's going to, um, which I do think he's he's a really special talent. They're really setting themselves up for another good set of picks here, so it could help them in the long run in terms of uh, adding more talent to their roster. Um, again. Hopefully, Joe Burrow comes back healthy. Can I share? Go, go ahead. <laughs> so I think, if anything, this is just an indictment on the Bengals organization. I've had my slew of issues with the Bengals as an organization. I think they're very cheap, and, and they take shortcuts. Um, and I remember from watching the first game of the season that the Bengals played, I was like, if they don't, at the trade deadline, or if they don't get Joe Burrow any help in terms mm-hmm. of offensive line, he was running for his life from literally day one. And it was it was only a moment. It was it was going to happen, especially with how good Washington's pass rush is. When you look at the guys that they have on their D line, I mean, I mean, you could almost see it coming a mile away. And I don't know what people in the Bengals higher up were thinking or doing, but it's just frustrating for me because Joe Burrow, he he's an older rookie. Right. And, and so it's. It's just frustrating because he came in ready to play, but the Bengals didn't come ready to play. It's what it seems like. And you can't have your quarterback running for their life the entire season and not expect at least something to happen. And and this is just the worst possible outcome. I totally agree with you. Uh, the Bengals did not put much address to the offensive line in this past draft after taking Joe Burrow. Um, if they don't do it this next season, then it's, it's kind of uh, – a disrespect on Joe Burrow. You're right. It comes down to the fact that he, he, he needs to be protected. Um, and if they're not going to do that, then you're not going to see any advancement as a franchise. Joe Burrow can't perform if he's getting sacked constantly and constantly under pressure. And then worst case scenario, you have a, the result that what happened uh, yesterday where he's out for the entire year. Now uh, the Bengals need to address that offensive line. If they're going to have any success moving forward, in my opinion, and uh, Ian as well. Um, so moving on from there, we had the, the saints and the Falcons. Um, Saints went 24 to nine, not much of a uh, important game here in terms of outcome. We kind of expected that Saints are a much much better team. Uh, More interesting though, to me was that the Saints winded up choosing Taysom Hill over Jameis Winston. Um, I guess it's kind of loyalties for them. Uh, Taysom Hill, I think he's been pretty good uh, of how they've used him throughout his career so far as a Saint. Um, Jameis Winston, obviously just coming this past season uh, as a, I think it was season before, uh, as a backup, 
Um, you know, they choose to go Taysom Hill with with Drew Brees out with multiple rib injuries. Uh, Taysom Hill had a pretty solid game, nothing spectacular, 233 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, you know, Alvin Kamara uh, was was a lot better uh, in terms of rushing. He, he held touchdown. Um, and then Taysom Hill, obviously, with two rushing touchdowns. So not much of a passer, uh, but definitely rushing. Taysom Hill had a good game. Uh, so it's kind of hard to play Taysom Hill as a quarterback uh, long term if he does not improve as a passer, I think. Um, as good as he has been rushing, I think, as a, as a utility guy. Um, I don't know. I just find it really interesting that they chose to go with Taysom Hill here. Um, I, I do think that Taysom Hill, I guess, has more upside, again, being loyal to him. Um, doesn't have exactly the pass that Jameis Winston has with his uh, numerous amount of turnovers. So I guess that's why they go with him here. Uh, Max, you have anything to say? Yeah, that last point was the one I was going to harp on. I guess the only reason I could have seen the Saints wanting to go with Taysom Hill over Jameis Winston is because the amount of turnovers, you know, as we know, Winston turns the ball over all the time. And uh, Taysom Hill, he hasn't really done that as career. He didn't do that yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Saints, you know, I'm not going to talk much about this. I think the result was about expected. The Saints, you know, they don't look, you know, the best, but they find a way to win games. And I think they're Super Bowl coach. I mean, these guys, I think, I feel like it's kind of good if, if they go into the playoffs as a dark horse team, as because, you know, they don't, they don't, when you watch them, you don't think, wow, this is like a great team, but they find a way to win. So you never know. I mean, just watch mm-hmm. out. They're eating too. So you, you can't, you can't really say anything about that. Um, I don't think they've been the most spectacular team in terms of like wow plays or a wow play, uh, but eight and two is something you really can't argue against. Yeah, they don't they don't win by a lot, but they win they win. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on from there, we had the Titans and Ravens uh, spectacular game went to overtime. Um, I don't have as much to say about this as definitely Maxwell. So Max, I'm just going to hand it straight to you here. All right, so. I'm going to kind of go over the game a little, little by little. So beginning of the game, the very beginning looked really good. So the, the Titans got a big – I think it was a three and out in the very first drive. And then they um, Ryan, Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill led a really great drive and capped off by a touchdown to John Smith. After that, um, they would get another possession, and he'd throw a pick. And after this, from here to the end of the first half, he just – Tannehill looked absolutely awful. Uh, he was inaccurate with his passes. Um, the – um, the receivers were dropping passes. A.J. Brown had a horrible first half. And it just looked really bad. The defense, they couldn't – not a good defense. They were allowing third down conversions to happen. They couldn't – they were getting tired. Didn't look good. But then things things really changed when Lamar Jackson threw a pick um, in the third quarter. I don't know why he ever threw the ball. He did. It was a really deep ball. I th- believe it was Devin Duvernay, um, one-on-one with Monty Hooker. And Monty Hooker was um, um, deeper on the route, and he picked it off. And – after that, Tannehill really played a great game. He was flying receivers, um, Corey Davis and and A.J. Brown mainly. Derrick Henry continued to do um, better as the game went on. And and there's one touchdown, the second touchdown the team scored. A.J. Brown had a really, really great play when um, he was he caught the ball about three yards from the line to gain, but he just took the defenders with him and went into the end zone. It was a spectacular touchdown. And then it went to overtime where the defense got a three and out. And this, I'll point this out, you know, the, the Titans on the, so on the last drive in regulation, they nearly allowed a touchdown, but I just don't get it. How one thing I said going into the game was they needed to play a lot tighter press coverage. And, and in the final drive in regulation, they were, 
allowing a lot of separation for, for the receivers. And Lamar Jackson was able to get complete check down passes and drive all the way. So Justin Tucker can hit a field goal. And in overtime, what happened was there was a lot more press coverage. And I think that a lot of it was a difference. And of course, um, Harold Landry got a sack in overtime. But I think that, you know, the way they played on defense in overtime really made a difference. Um, no, no press coverage. Ravens knew what they, they could have done what they wanted. But once we played press coverage, it was a lot different. And then Derrick Henry was able to cap it off with a walk-off score. I mean, and not the prettiest win, of course, but the Titans tend to win ugly football. And at the, the very least, it kind of sh- it just showed, again, resilient team, and they know what to win still. So, I mean, I'm, I feel a little bit better about this team, but I think the real test is going to come this Sunday as they battle, battle it out against the Colts for, in all likelihood, the AFC South title. And just going over this Ravens team a little bit more, uh, it was nice to see that Des Bryant does come back after taking so long off in the NFL and, you know, finally working his way back into a squad, practice squad, and then moving him up. Um, and he gets to play in this game here. Additionally, the Ravens did test positive. A couple of Ravens players, including J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram, um, tested positive for COVID uh, this morning. So we don't know if they got it last night after the game. Was it during the game? So it seems like the Titans um, might have going to have to do some additional testing as well as the Ravens. And this potentially puts the Ravens in the Steelers game. Uh, at risk for being played, um, you know, that is going to be a good game. So hopefully we do get to see them play. Hopefully it was just a couple players, but uh, again, really good game out of the Titans here. In my opinion, I, I think these, these, those type of wins over a good team like the Ravens are more valuable than any type of blowout you can have. Um, you can win a, a, a during adversity, adversity against a good team. Uh, this is a lot about the coaching. Uh, this is a lot about Mike Rabel. Um, you know, I don't think the Titans are the most talented squad in the NFL. I'd say the ta- Ravens are probably more talented, uh, but the Ravens are six and four and the Titans are seven and three. Um, I think strictly due to the coaching and the heart of this team. Um, and then obviously getting carried by Derrick Henry definitely does not hurt. Uh, really, really good Titans team. Um, you know, they, they've been, they've had their ups and downs throughout the season, but uh, you can't really complain too much about uh, of how they've done so far, especially in this type of game. Um, so moving on from there, we have the Giants. Chargers and the Jets. Chargers win this one 34 to 28. Not much to talk about here. Jets are 0 and 10, pretty much a shoe in for the first pick right now. Probably going to pick Trevor Lawrence. Uh, not much to talk about there, honestly. Yeah, I mean, on the Chargers side of things, I mean, you had Justin Herbert, uh, who had, a, in my opinion, a typical Justin Herbert game 366 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 124 QBR. You know, pretty good uh, game out of him, which we've seen pretty much all season. You know, he struggled a little bit against better teams uh but again justin herbert definitely had has really had a really good rookie season so far um so moving one on thing i did want to say about the jets um so one thing that i've that i've been starting to like kind of get a theme of and been talking to my family about who are also unfortunately jet fans um is that sam darnold seems to be starting to become that quarterback that you can't trust to be on the field like I mean, I had made the whole li- this whole list, but I forgot exactly. But every single year, there seems to be a stretch of three to four games where he's not playing for the Jets. And even though last year it was sickness and not injury, there's still something to say that he can't be trusted to be on the field. Um, you, I really don't see a success story where a team builds their whole team around someone that misses four games every season. Um, and that just adds to Sam Darnold hasn't played that well 
his whole his whole career thus far, and that's just another reason why I think it's time to move on from him. Um, yeah, and that's just been something that I've been thinking about recently and I think needs to be talked about a little bit more. I just think in particular, if you're the Jets and you're the first overall pick, I think regardless of how well Sam Darnold has done and how bad he's done, I think a Trevor Lawrence is through and through a better quarterback, a better prospect, has a higher ceiling. If you have that first overall pick, you cannot pass on Trevor Lawrence if he's the Jets. I wouldn't be surprised if Trevor Lawrence just goes back to college if it's the Jets that are drafting him now. I mean, it definitely might be a possibility. <laughs> Let's say the Jets, you know, the, the Jets are going to have to move Sam Darnold, I would expect, um, during the draft. So who would they move him to? I honestly not sure. Possibly the Colts. I, I That's would, a thing I was going to say because, you know, Philip Rivers, he looks like a, he looks okay, but like, is he really have that in him to win another Super Bowl? I really don't think he does. That was, that was actually the one team I was going to say, maybe – Minnesota, if they don't trust Kirk Cousins, because he has had too many ups and downs for them to really depend on him, I think. I just think with Philip Rivers' age and the way that the Colts are set up with their defense being so so really good this year, they've been really good. Their offense has definitely had sparks. Um, Dyne Taylor, uh, Pittman, you know, we've seen we've seen some good offense out of them. Um, and I don't think I think Philip Rivers, as you said, Philip Rivers, as you said, has been a solid quarterback this year. There's no doubt about it. But is he really in the long-term plans of the Colts? I do not know. And no, it just no, doesn't no, make no. a lot of sense for him to be in those long-term plans. Again, with his age, he's not getting any better. And this Colts team, I think, is a relatively young team that, that's still really good. Um, is really that, that quarterback away. I think Sam Darnold would do a lot better on the Colts, better system, uh, better coaching. I think he could possibly excel there. Um, it's definitely a possibility rather than being this abysmal Jets franchise. Um, with that being said... Uh, I think I'm going to move on for the Broncos and Dolphins here. Uh, Broncos, Dolphins, kind of an upset here. I'm not sure really what to call it. Uh, Do- the Broncos win 20 to 13. The Broncos with a four and six. Dolphins six and four. Uh, starting on the Dolphins side of things, again, still a really young team. Have showed a lot of promise. Um, they're, they're not really. I don't think they're ready to win any sort of playoffs or playoff run. Um, you know, they may get. They may make the playoffs if they beat up the Bills for the division. But I don't think they're going to make it too far in the playoffs. They're still a really young team. Uh, and then additionally, we saw Tua go down with an injury late game. Ryan Fitzpatrick takes over, uh, throws a game, essentially losing interception to Justin Simmons. Um, Tua, I think, honestly, if Tua was in this game still, I think the, the Dolphins may have won it. I think Tua's just been that special since coming in. Um, you know, he would have been 4 0 as a starter, uh, but he is injured. We're, I don't think we're too sure of the extent of the injury at this point. Um, but they did take – he was out for the entirety of the rest of that game. Um, and then the, the Broncos side of things, Drew Locke, not a great game here, 275 yards, one interception, 85.7 QBR. Um, nothing spectacular there. We saw Melvin Gordon have a pretty solid game, 84 yards, two touchdowns. Um, I honestly don't have much else to say besides Tua definitely needs to come back for the Dolphins if they do want to make the playoffs. Um, uh, you know, again, this Dolphins team is still really young. It's not the end of the world if they don't. But again, I think they do need to uh, if they're going to try to make that run. Yeah, I personally get the decision to bench to us because you know they were in that game, and I feel like that kind of game. I would, I'm not going to say anything like major about them. I just feel like it was one of those games, or just one of those rookie games where you just don't always play well. And I, I kind of, I get it because I think a team like that, you know, you think you have a chance to make the playoffs, and you really want to do what you can to win in that moment. I get putting Fitzpatrick in to see what you got potentially. And of course they don't plan to start him long-term. Ryan Flores said yesterday, you know, we're going to sit with Tua. He's our guy, but I just think it's one of those games of the Dolphins. I think it, 
teams have everyone's like them have every once in a while you look really really good but you just you're just not there yet you you just not quite and you know i still think they definitely could make the playoffs but i think um yesterday's upset loss i would call it an upset because i really did think the dolphins were going to win probably puts a bit of a damper on those hopes but you know again like as i've said many times goals for the team are for the future not right now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i totally agree uh so moving on from there we had the colts and the packers colts won this one in overtime uh 34 to 31 pretty exciting game colts are now seven and three packers are seven and three uh, on the Colts side of things, again, Philip Rivers, okay game from him. Three touchdowns, one reception, 115.5 QBR, 288 yards passing. Um, Rushing-wise, again, I think Jonathan Taylor has been, you know, uh, silently been, been really good this season for the Colts. And I think he was my favorite running back in, the, in this past draft uh, coming out of Wisconsin. 90 yards on the ground here, also had 24 yards receiving. Uh, then one of my favorite, I think, my honestly, my favorite, receiver coming out of this draft not the most talented but my favorite receiver coming out of this draft Michael Pittman Jr. Um, came back from injury last week had his first I think really solid game in the NFL 66 yards and a, a nice touchdown for him uh, I was excited to see him put up some points and the Packers side of things um, you know uh, Aaron Rodgers three touchdowns one interception similar to what we saw with Bill Rivers 311 yards 119.4 QBR Aaron Jones, sort of a down week, 41 yards, one touchdown. Devontae Adams doing as well as he always does, 160 yards, one touchdown. Um, not much else to say in this game. I just think uh, Colts are a good team. I do think the Packers are a better team, but I think the Colts really came to play this week, and a uh, nice win for them in overtime. Yeah, this Colts team is, I think, really, if you didn't think they could be good now, I feel like at this point you're really taking them seriously. You know, they, they go – they come in and they beat a Packers team who many thought was – top three team in the league and I, I honestly don't I only just feel like this kind of ridiculous I feel like in general the Colts kind of have the Packers number I feel like that could have played an impact in this game I don't know but I think it's I feel like a lot of this for me has to do with the coaching on the Colts because they realistically probably shouldn't have been in this game but find a way to win so I feel like that I feel like that's the main takeaway for, from from this game for me mm-hmm. and then so moving on from there we have the Cowboys and the Vikings Honestly, don't have much to say about this game. The Cowboys are banged up. The Vikings have been really inconsistent. Uh, the Cowboys won at 31 to 28. Cowboys are three and seven again, tied for second place in the NFC East. Uh, Vikings moved to four and six. Uh, Max, you have anything to say about this game? Uh, if I'm a Vikings fan this year, I'm absolutely livid. You know, you go, you almost beat teams like the Titans, the Seahawks. You beat the Packers on their home field, and you lose on your home field to the Falcons and the Cowboys like what's up with that I feel like this team is up there with the Patriots in terms of just being a totally erratic team inconsistent and I mean it, I just don't understand how you could have these losses a team like a team that good that talented I mean it's good it costs you and you're they're probably gonna they probably work um even without this loss but just to they're probably gonna miss the playoffs now and you, you think you potentially could swing a couple of one or two of these games in your favor and you might have a playoff team. It just, you, you just can't afford these kind of losses. Yeah. I, I think it was mostly on the defense here. We look at, you know, statistically Kirk Cousins had a solid game. Uh, Dalvin Cook had a particular regular game for him in over a hundred yards. Um, Adam Dillon also had a solid game. So it's just a really inconsistent Vikings team uh, here. Uh, and then finally, we have, for the final game that was actually played already, we had the Chiefs Raiders. Honestly, not much of a not much of a surprise here. The Chiefs win thirty five to thirty one. Chiefs are nine and one. Six, Raiders are six and four. 
Uh, that Chiefs offense is really special. Uh, they get ball, they get the ball back late in the game, and they put up a t- touchdown with ease. Honestly, uh, walk away with that game. I think on the Raiders side of things, I think this game says more about the Raiders than it does the Chiefs. Personally, uh, we saw the the Raiders beat the Chiefs earlier in the year. They're the only loss they've had this year. We see them again be competitive with, with the Chiefs. I think this is a team. The Raiders are really similar to a team like the Panthers. Well, I don't know if they're really ready to win now, um, but I think they're headed in the right direction. When you can remain competitive, uh, competitive rather with the roster that they have, I think that says a lot about your team and the coaching. I think Gruden has been really solid for the Raiders this year. Um, and again, I think they're heading in the right direction. This game did really a lot for my opinion of the Raiders because, you know, they'd already beaten the Chiefs once in a year. I came into the game thinking, yeah, the Chiefs, they're not going to lose their division rival twice. No way. And they almost, they almost do. The, the Raiders co- compete with them the whole game. And I just think, you know, this Raiders team, they're, they're decently talented. They're not the most talented by any means, but they're kind of one of those teams that really plays, has a tough identity identity for being just a tough team that you can't count out any week. And it, they continue to do it. And, you know, and also I have to think based on this game, just the season in general, are you potentially thinking their car is like one of those quarterbacks who many people thought that it's not going to work out. Are you potentially thinking that you're going to give him another, give him more chances moving forward? Because he's, He's gotten so he's gotten better in these past two years. Yeah, I totally agree. He's definitely he's definitely gotten better, especially this season where he's been really competent throughout the entire year. I think he's had really solid games. Um, has managed well for the Raiders, where we haven't seen him do that in a few years. Um, so again, really, you know, the Raiders are kind of in position for when the Chiefs possibly fan out, which who knows if they will. You know, Patrick Mahomes is such a talent, but for them to only rely on Patrick Mahomes down the line. It may not work out, but I think this Raiders team uh, may be in position to possibly be competitive for the division in the future um, with how they played this season. Um, with that being said, final game, which we have tonight at 815, is currently 422 on Monday. Uh, we have the Rams, Buccaneers. For me, this is kind of an easy one. Um, I'm going to go with the Buccaneers by quite some points. Uh, I like the Buccaneers with Tom Brady here. I also have Leonard Fournette against Cooper Cup tonight in fantasy, and I need Leonard Fournette to outscore Cooper Cup by six points, so – all right, go Bucks. <laughs> I actually disagree with you. I think this game is actually going to be a pretty close game that I can go either way because you look at, you know, both of these teams really have good defenses. The Bucks have one of the more complete defenses from a talent standpoint, and the Rams are up there ranking in the top three of total defense, and both teams have – Bucks obviously have that explosive offense, and the Rams can put up points too. So I actually – and when you factor in Sean McVay, who's one of the best head coaches in the NFL, I think we have what's going to be a pretty good game, and I think – I'm going to say 23-17 bucks. I think it's a close game. I really think go either way. You're looking at the way the Rams played last week against the Seahawks and have really played the whole year. You can't count these guys out. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's definitely going to be a closer game. I'm just hoping for fantasy for fantasy sake that it will be a <laughs> – That makes uh, sense. So that, that about concludes the NFL. Uh, Brian is going to take over MLB. Go ahead, Brian. All right. So um, this week in baseball, similar to last week, not – a lot to discuss some like minor news. I also forgot to talk about the award winners last week. So I'll go into that a little bit. Um, so the first thing, which is like the major news of the week, actually looking at this, there is a couple major news things. Okay. Robinson Cano um, was suspended for a second time for PED use, which means he's out for the whole season. The first time you get suspended for PEDs, it's I think half the season. And then the second time it's full season. And um, so Looking at that, Robinson Cano had a really good season last year. Uh, it seems like his really good season was because of PEDs. There's no other way to look at it. I mean, 
the comparison to what he did last year to what he did the year before for the Mets was night and day, really. He turned into from one of the worst Mets player on the team to one of the probably top two, top three. That's up for debate, but whatever. Um, so that happened. I don't remember the exact date, but more of just like a funny moment, in my opinion, because um, it's just another typical Mets moment. And I'm sure a lot of Mets fans out there are thinking, and I, I think I saw something about this, that like, oh, like we have Steve Cohen, like everything's going to be okay. And then this happens. And it's just like typical Mets. Um, but the other way to look at it is that now that you have Steve Cohen, there's a lot of more opportunities to make up for a situation like that. And for some people, it even makes the Mets into a better situation because they have now have more money to use, which I forgot to mention because it's his second time for PED use, they get all the money back from his contract that for this year. So that's, I think 25 million. So they have 25, 25 million more dollars to spend this off season um, where that really makes a difference for Steve Cohen. Who knows? One thing Steve Cohen has said, he's not going to spend like a drunken sailor, which basically means like he's not going to just throw money at the wall and see what he catches. Um, he's going to do things in a smart way, which is good to hear. Uh, that still doesn't really tell us how much money he's going to spend, but I know he's going to spend more than the Wilpons, which anything more than that is good. Um, so with the Robinson Cano suspension, who won the trade between the Mariners and the Mets that happened a few years ago that sent Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano to uh, the Mets and Jerry Kelnick and the other players that the Mets sent to the Mariners. I mean, really, it's easy to say the Mariners won the trade just because Edwin Diaz has really, really sucked it up his first season, his second season much better with the Mets. Um, but the trade was more centered around Edwin Diaz than it was ever Robinson Cano. Um, and Edwin Diaz still has a lot more years under contract. So we'll see what comes of that. I, th I think it's going to end up the Mariners are going to win this deal. But Jared Kalanick still hasn't proven anything in the majors because he's not in major, major leagues. So that's always something to keep in mind. Um, the next situation that comes of that is it opens up a spot for the Mets to possibly sign DJ LeMahieu, um, which me being a Mets fan, that'd be a huge thing because it takes player away from the Yankees. Um, and really, I, I know it's like, the Red Sox are also a potential suitor, so that would be even fun, too, if the Red Sox got DJ LeMahieu. Um, but, yeah, DJ LeMahieu would definitely be an interesting fit because the Mets, they have a lot of uh, talent in the infield, but they also want to trade for Francisco Lindor. So they're going to have to figure out ways to either be creative and have suitable position players at each position or use their money that they now have and go out inside someone like DJ LeMahieu who can play all over the infield especially third base, which is going to end up, the Mets are going to end up needing a third baseman with how everything shakes out. Uh, off of that, the next big news of the week was uh, Mike Clevenger is undergoing Tommy John surgery, which is really interesting because he just signed a two-year deal. Actually, I think it was like the day or very close to it that it was announced that he was undergoing Tommy John surgery and missing this whole season um, that the two-year deal with the Padres became official. Um, Obviously, a big hit to the Padres. Padres had such a good season last year. Mike Clevenger was going to just add to it. Um, but now he can't add to it because he's Tommy John surgery. Um, it just really sucks. It's if it, if it happened to the Mets, it would be like a typical Mets thing to happen. But it is the Padres. Um, so definitely sucks for the Padres. We'll see how that works out. He's still going to be under contract for another year. So you'll have to wait till 2022. 
for Mike Clevenger and the Padres. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about, I don't know when it happened in the timeline. I don't know if it was a thing when we recorded last week. I don't think it was. But Trevor Bauer made a video about how good Steve Cohen's done as the Mets owner. Um, for those that don't know about Trevor Bauer's YouTube career, um, he's gone. He's devoted a lot of time to YouTube, especially this season. He had his whole um, COVID vlog series about how the players were getting ready for the COVID season. Also during the season, throughout the whole season, he was making vlogs, I think, weekly or maybe two times a week. I don't know what the schedule was, but I was watching. It was very interesting. Um, and the one thing that became clear with Trevor Bowers, he's a very interesting type of guy. And him and Steve Cohn would, to me, seem to work out pretty well. But what I want to talk about is he also has like this rumor mill series where he talks about rumors that are going on. And one of the rumors he was talking about, maybe not rumors, might not be the right word, but was talking about how good Steve Cohn's been as the owner, which I said. Um, and obviously he said in the video that this doesn't have anything to do with my free agency. I'm more just talking as a businessman. And he was saying how good Steve Cohn's done, all the different things he's done. Um, but one interesting thing about that is it came out that certain parts of the video had to be cut out because it would it like affect his free agency. Um, so, I mean, you could just assume what that was probably, he was probably mentioning something to the fact that the Mets and him are likely suit, likely match. Um, and also his, uh, his agent, Ray Chalupa or something like that, uh, did an interview with both um, Howie Rose's daughter on Instagram Live and also SNY. SNY being the Mets uh, TV station. So definitely a lot of things that are seeming to fall in line for Trevor Bauer and the Mets, and that'd be huge um, for the Mets, who, interestingly, compared to two seasons ago, have a pitching staff that is very deplete of uh, stars, at least till June when Noah Syndergaard comes back. Um, so they're definitely going to have to find rotation help, and Trevor Bauer would obviously be a huge help. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about, are the award winners, which I don't know why I didn't mention last week, but I'll go through them quickly, just mentioned a few things. So the MVP award race, obviously the biggest one. Uh, Freddie Freeman won in the National League, American League, Jose Abreu. Looking through their stats, Freddie Freeman, 341 batting average. I mean, that really says it all, 13 home runs, 53 RBIs. Uh, Freddie Freeman, I mean, a big story with his whole year this season. I mean, he was – had such a bad COVID situation at the beginning of the season. Um, I think he made it for opening day, but he, he was going through it. Um, and he talked about how it was really hard for him and to see him come out of it and have such a good season. I mean, that shows a lot about his character and just about how good he is at baseball. Um, so he won the NL MVP, Jose Abreu, um, won the AL MVP, 317 batting average, 19 home runs, 60 RBIs. I mean, those stats would be a solid season in a 162-game season. Uh, but obviously, this was only 60 games. Um, really, between this year and – I'm just looking at it. His past two seasons for the Padres have been absolutely insane. Um, 2019, he's been an all-star 2014, 2018, 2019. In 2019, he had 123 RBIs, 33 home runs. 284 batting average. So he's someone that hits for power, hits for average. I mean, 
he's an absolute talent. And for a while there between 2014 and 2018, he wasn't doing actually looking at the stats. He was doing very well those seasons too, but 2018 was somewhat of a down season, but either way he won the AL MVP Um, in terms of Cy Young, which was also highly touted during this season. um, Shane Bieber won in the American league. Not a surprise at all. Trevor Bauer won in the national league, which not wasn't a surprise either, but that race was for a lot for a while during the season was between a lot of different players from um, obviously Jacob deGrom, Trevor Bauer, Hugh Darvish. Uh, I think Max Freed was the Braves pitcher. Um, so yeah, Trevor Bauer won. Uh, very exciting for him. Disappointing for me because it would have been cool if Jacob deGrom won three years in a row. Never happened before for the Mets. So Either way, that's how those major awards shook out. Rookie of the year, probably the last one I'll talk about. Uh, Kyle Lewis won for the American League. Um, 262 batting average, 11 home runs, 37 runs. What are his RBIs? Doesn't say his RBIs. And then in the National League, Devin Williams um, for the Brewers, who was an absolute talent during the season, um, was his pitcher for the Brewers. 0.33 ERA. and uh, 0.90 batting average uh, against his opponents. He was a reliever, which is interesting um, for him to win the Rookie of the Year. It goes to show that there wasn't that much great talent in terms of rookies this season for the National League, but also how good Devin Williams was. Um, with that being said, I don't think there's much more I want to say. Just want to check. Yeah, I don't think there's much more. So I'm going to hand it over to Ian, who's going to take us away with the NBA. Yeah, so the past week in the NBA has been a trip, to say the least. Um, coming into it, you know, free agency, it's always a good time, but free agency starting the same week as the draft, is a, it's a bit much. And so we're, we're making do with what COVID is giving us in this, in this year. So mainly the biggest storyline of free agency is what Rob Palenka did with the Lakers. Um, and really, I'd like to say it was out with the old and in with the new. Um, he, he got rid of Avery Bradley, he signed with the Heat, but in getting rid of Avery Bradley, he brought in Dennis Schroeder via trade. He signed Montrez Harrell to a two-year deal. Um, they just inked Gasol to a deal this morning. He re-signed KCP, brought in Wesley Matthews, and re-signed Markeith Morris. And, and it's interesting because it's like the Lakers won the title and then they get better. They, they now solve their biggest area of weakness in having a shot-creating point guard in Dennis Schroeder. And so it's it's intriguing to see what the next step for the Lakers will be in terms of reshaping and retooling this roster. The next move that I'm expecting to come down is an Anthony Davis extension. Um, but a, there was a story floating on the internet that Anthony Davis had been taking offers from other teams and listening to their pitches. So only time can tell with that one. We know with NBA players, they can kind of be prima donna. So they really do enjoy the free agency process with all these teams coming to them at their beck and call. Um, really after the Lakers, it's been Oklahoma City. Now, granted, I, I have a bit of bias here because I'm an Oklahoma City fan. And it's this time where they're reshaping and retooling. And at the end of the day, what can Oklahoma City become? That's the question that we are trying to ask. And 
with the moves that Sam Presti made, he's collected a lot of late first round draft picks. And this is my, my bone to pick with the NBA. It's like these teams obsess over draft picks, but draft picks aren't players. And so the hope would be that you turn those late round draft picks into actual players. Um, there's two 30 year olds and up on the roster. Now that's Trevor Reza and Al Horford, everyone up else is under 27 pretty much it's a young group of guys and so this year I don't think Oklahoma City will be very good but I'm interested to see in how they utilize those late first round draft picks into leverage for a superstar player the next unhappy superstar player as I like to call it in the NBA um, next really is Houston. Now, Houston is an enigma. I, I wrote a piece on James Harden wanting a trade and, and how sometimes the grass isn't always greener and we've seen this in the NBA a lot. These guys, they come in, they sign max extensions with the teams that built an uh, entire offensive system around them. And, and then when things don't work out, they demand a trade saying that this team isn't committed to winning. Well, Harden can't really say that in that sense. The Rockets have been committed to Harden for as long as Harden has been there. And yes, he got a new head coach. And yes, he has a new general manager. And yes, everything is new, but the system is still Harden. And so I feel that him demanding a trade a week into having a new head coach or a new general manager is a bit ridiculous. And, and, Hart, and Houston holds all the leverage here. Harden can whine and complain all he wants, but he has two years left on his deal with a player option for a third. And at some point, the NBA has to have its day of reckoning with superstars signing max extensions and wanting out as soon as things don't don't go as planned it, it's a dangerous game that we're playing and and Harden wanting to go to Brooklyn or, or wanting to go to Philadelphia it, it's just agreeing with the precedent that not only Anthony Davis set but what we saw Kyrie Irving do and in the end at the end of the day it's only hurting the leagues it's hurting the continuity of the NBA when star players walk out the moment things get difficult so I think Harden has to have a bit of reckoning with himself the Houston Rockets haven't won a championship and it's not because they didn't try Daryl Morey dove headfirst into what Harden loved to do he got Harden a coach that would make him a point guard and would up his usage rate and then they lose so so Harden has to ask himself this when the Rockets 27 straight threes in game seven against the Warriors in 2018. Whose fault was that? Harden has to answer why he never shows up in game sevens for the Rockets and why his playoff resume is a bit underwhelming. Harden has to answer why he can average 35 points per game in the regular season, but can't seem to get out of the second round. The only person he has to blame at this point is himself because he missed his championship window. Then he ran Chris Paul out of town. He wanted to trade for Russell Westbrook, then got mad at Russell Westbrook's playing style. The lack of accountability in Houston is the real problem. And it starts from the top down. When your star player has no accountability with himself, how can you ever expect to win? And so them signing Christian Wood and, and trading trading Robert Covington for Trevor Ariza, then flipping Trevor Ariza to Oklahoma City, I'm just more confused with what Houston wants to do at this point. Do they want to say, double down, let's run it back with Harden and Westbrook and see what happens? Or are they preparing for this eventual rebuild that seems that it's staring, itself, it's staring them in the face? Uh, I think I'd hate to be a Houston fan or even in the Houston organization at this point. There's just been such a lack of accountability that it's almost impossible to change the culture now. We saw when Russell Westbrook apparently tried to hold a players-only meeting where they held each other accountable, that didn't go well. And then the story after that was that Russell Westbrook wants out. And so, you know, I've been very critical of Houston. I I'm not a fan of how they played the game for the last four years. But at this point, it comes down to Harden and Harden saying, I have to be better and I have to hold myself accountable. 
And, and I think this is a failure of Harden to lead. And now he's just trying to, he's trying to leave the house that he lit on fire in the first place and then blame everyone else that it's burning down. And so it, it's an interesting idea to see these star players get mad at everything they themselves created and then want out. It makes no sense to me. And that leads me to what's going on with Washington and John Wall. And apparently John Wall is now denying that he demanded a trade. And, and David Aldridge reported that the Washington general manager said that they're not trading John Wall and they want to give this John Wall Bradley Beal backcourt another go. And he would just be the latest of, of the star players that he was hurt. Yes, that's out of his control. And then he, he came back out of shape and got hurt again. And He's put Washington in this precarious place where they're not contending, but they're not very good either. And, and then he wants out. And so the lack of accountability is where I'm really stuck. So, Wall, do you want out or do you not want out? Commit to one. And, and so going forward, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that Wall and Beal backcourt dynamic. They gave Davis Bertans a five-year contract. I mean, I don't think that money's going to look good three years from now. He's just a guy that can shoot. And so what's next? What's next for Washington? How do they either take that step forward or how do they commit to the rebuild? That's the question that they have to answer. And a team that's been mired in mediocrity, Charlotte, they drafted LaMelo Ball with the third overall pick in last week's draft. Um, you know, it's, I love LaMelo. I love the highlights that he's created over the last four or five years he's been in our lives. Um, I love the personality but I question the tangibility of him being a superstar. He is a six foot seven point guard who is an otherworldly creator. And he, he can make his teammates better because he's a pat. He can pass better than anyone in this draft class, but he can't shoot and he can't play defense. Those two things are the biggest aspect of any player. You got to be able to shoot and you got to be able to play defense and LaMelo not being able to do those things. It's a warning sign for me. And, and you got to think about his entire basketball career has been controlled and catered by his dad. You saw what happened with Lonzo Ball his first year in the league. Lonzo Ball, people were thinking he was a bust, but even still Lonzo Ball was a better defender than LaMelo. And so the question is, what is LaMelo going to be in Charlotte? I presume he's going to have the reins to be the offense. They brought in Gordon Hayward to help him out. It, it, can he win rookie of the year? Maybe rookie of the year comes down to opportunity more than actual ability. But what, what do you have in LaMelo? And, and to me, that, that is a real storyline uh, of this upcoming season is what exactly does Charlotte have in a six foot seven guard that can't shoot and can't play defense. That is a good playmaker. Now you, everybody was saying, well, Rondo couldn't shoot, but Rondo was dynamic enough and a great finisher around the rim. LaMelo's an iffy finisher around the rim. He has good touch, but his game, his game, it's just such an enigma that at every level he hasn't been able to shoot, but people believe he can because I like to call it the mixtape syndrome. You watch all these mixtape videos of him pulling up from half court. And then in reality, the mixtape doesn't highlight the fact that he shot that shot 10 times and made two of them. At the end of the day, if you can't shoot, you can't really play in today's league. And if you can't shoot, it makes it harder to be a, be a playmaker because what teams are going to do, they're going to go under screens. They're, they're, they're not going to respect your jump shot. And you still, you see what happens to Ben Simmons in the playoffs. He becomes a non-factor when it comes to creating on the ball because no team can even respect him to take a mid-range jump shot. 
And so when you're creating a franchise, when you're building a franchise around a player, they need to be able to at least offer tangibility in all aspects of the offense. They need to be able to score inside. They need to be able to create shots in the mid range and they need to be able to hit a wide open three. If they can't do the latter two, then they need to be somebody that's like a Joel Embiid that can score on the low block consistently. And being a great playmaker has its point in time. But if Charlotte drafted LaMelo to be a number one option, well, I'm worried about that because he he'll he won't be a number one in my eyes. I think at most he'll probably be a second banana or a third banana on a good team. Because at the end of the day, if he doesn't develop a jump shot, you, you can't be the go-to guy in the offense. And, you know, Milwaukee, this is just a touchstone. One thing I wanted to add about uh, yeah, go ahead. LaMelo. Um, one thing that became interesting to me, I was watching the draft, and you see LaVar sitting next to him when they announced that he was going to the Hornets. And he, I mean – he did not look excited at all for him. Like LaMelo stood up, was so excited. And then LeVar sat there, not happy. And you start thinking about like LeVar's history. Obviously he wants his son, any of his sons to go to a big, a big franchise. And with Lonzo, he goes to New Orleans Pelicans. Wasn't happy with that. And now in Charlotte with the Hornets, that's definitely not a big time franchise. And then you look further, him and Michael Jordan have not had the best relationship. I don't know what Michael Jordan thinks of LeVar. I'm sure he doesn't think that greatly of him. But LeVar, he said that he could beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. Yeah, it was probably like a joke. But now he's your son's owner. And or that's just not going to, in my opinion, work out. Um, and it just adds to a LaMelo and Hornet situation. Yeah, exactly. It It's a precarious situation because – Again, you don't know what you're getting in LaMelo. You know what you're getting in LaVar. And at the end of the day, is LaMelo going to move the needle for your franchise? No, I've been on record saying that James Wiseman was my guy. I don't, I don't think you can pass up on a guy that has that size and can move and can defend the way that Wiseman can. And I believe that I can project Wiseman to be a thir- low 30% three-point shooter, and that's serviceable for a center. And, and so Charlotte has always had a problem of, of falling for the glitz and the glamour. And I think that this is another case of that. LaMelo offers you, he offers you flash, but no substance. And that's, that's the real sad part about it. And so touching on Milwaukee, the Bogdanovich trade fell through because technically it was tampering. And so Milwaukee just has Drew Holiday, they have Giannis, they have Chris Middleton, and and they've added some auxiliary pieces to that roster. But an interesting thing, I saw a report that Milwaukee apparently offered Giannis a $200 million extension that he hasn't said yes or no to, and he's been back home in Greece. So the, the writing could be on the wall. I don't think Giannis is going to give up his leverage and sign that extension, which means that he will go into this season planning to be an unrestricted free agent next year. And for a small market team with a big market superstar, being a contender is key. And I don't think Giannis is wired in the way that he's going to go to the team that beats him or anything like that, but he does want to win. And Milwaukee needs to show that they are committed to winning and having that Bogdanovich trade fall through really hurt them. So it should change things in the Giannis sweepstakes. I was on mute. We're doing Zoom this time. It's a little different, so I forgot to unmute myself. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about what the Knicks have been doing. Um, Leon Rose, uh, new member to the Knicks um, in their president. Um, he's made some, I'd say this draft and what he's done before the draft and after his draft 
has been very interesting. It's been very not Nick-like with what he's done. Um, obviously, he made some interesting trades during the actual draft. He traded um, – uh, I should have had this up. But what he ended up doing, let's just give numbers. I think they had the 28th. In the beginning, they had the 28th and, like, 37th pick. Through two trades, he ended up giving the Knicks the 23rd overall pick and the 33rd overall pick. So he just, they didn't lose anything else. He increased the positions for the Knicks in terms of what they were getting, what they were drafting. Um, whether that becomes anything in terms of uh, talent for the Knicks, I don't know. But it kind of shows um, some smart movement by him. And then off of that, there's not a lot that I want to talk about. but. Um, another trade that he made that he made was he traded for Ed Davis um, and a second round pick, which you look at no Ed Davis and two second round picks. I'm pretty sure. Um, and you start looking into that deal. The Knicks basically didn't trade anything in that deal, and were basically just taking on all of Ed Davis's salary for one season. Um, Ed Davis. Not a good player. I think he averaged like two points last season. Um, but then he goes on to trade Ed Davis to what team did he trade him to? I don't know what team. He, oh, yeah. Okay. He traded them to the Timberwolves for – he traded Ed Davis to the Timberwolves for Amari Spellman and Jake and Jacob Evans and a future second-round pick. So I don't – obviously, second-round picks don't really turn into anything. But it seems that Leon Rose is starting to go down a path of – Making smart smart moves, um, not doing anything stupid and going after big stars. And, I mean, just how things usually go for me. And next week I'll be talking about the Knicks trade for Russell Westbrook, which in my opinion is a very stupid move. Um, hopefully this is starting to show a trend of the Knicks making smart decisions and actually taking time to do a full rebuild. I don't think there are anything major like – I don't think any of these second round picks are going to turn into anything, but it does start the trend of possibly having some sanity and smartness into Madison Square Garden. Um, so going off what Brian said, I want to give my two cents. I actually have a decent amount to talk about with the NBA, uh, starting with the Knicks. I thought the Knicks did a spectacular job with the draft, personally. Um, Obi Toppin was, he was like four on the board for me. Um, I think he's definitely NBA ready. And I think at number eight, he was definitely the best player available to them. I like Obi Toppin's game. I think he's going to provide a lot in terms of the power forward position um, for the Knicks. And then the Knicks ability to, to move off Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, et cetera, et cetera, right. move, off those, move off those expiring contracts and that abundance of power forwards that they had was really good. And then, you know, beyond that, I think um, they got quickly from Kentucky, which I think I liked quickly coming out of college. I think undrafted free agent uh, Miles Powell, he was spectacular at Seton Hall. Um, I think he was a great pick for them. So in terms of the Knicks, I thought they did a spectacular job um, in, ter in terms of this whole offseason so far. And it's been really good for them. I, I can't say the Knicks have ever done this this good in, in past memory. Um, and then going beyond that, uh, going through Ian's list, uh, the Lakers, I thought, again, like as he had mentioned, I thought they had a spectacular offseason. I think the best offseason out of anybody so far taking a championship team and by all accounts, making them better. Um, you know, I thought they could, they could have kept JaVale McGee, but uh, I think letting Dwight Howard go is probably a good move. The, the team was really big, heavy. Um, Dwight Howard's not getting any better. Uh, Montrez Harrell, Gasol, that essentially replaced, I think that 
A, with Gasol, you, you help extend the, the court a little bit. You get a little bit of three-point shooting from a big. Um, and with Schroeder, they were able to address their guard situation. They brought back, I think, the, the better players that are going to fit best into this team moving forward. And by all accounts, this Lakers team looks better than it was last season, which is pretty scary because they were pretty dominant in the playoffs. Um, OKC side, I love what OKC is doing. Um, I think the, the abundance of picks they have, even if OKC, right, they completely mess up their picks. They have so many first-round draft picks that somebody they select is going to be good down the line. They, they're just going to be such a young, talented team, They're going and they're going to all going to be on cheap contracts because they're all rookies, eventually going to have to pay people, obviously. Uh, but there's going to be an abundance of talent on this team that's going to be uh, fit really well into the salary cap. OKC has done an excellent job in, in this rebuild going forward. Um, I just can't, you know, really say enough about them in terms of how positive this re- I think their rebuild's going to turn out once it's all said and done. On um, what the Houston side of things, me being a Rockets fan, it's definitely been frustrating looking at all the trade rumors going forward. Um, but I do have to say this, and I think this applies to the rest of the league. Um, and Ian had had sort of mentioned it is that the players are prima donnas, and I think the media can be really misleading in terms of the NBA. Um, I think we saw it, you know, going with the Rockets in particular. Uh, with Chris Paul, right? So the original, when you go back to the original Chris Paul, Paul story, uh, the rumor was that he wanted out with a trade. Um, and then it kind of came out that he didn't want that. I think he had posted an Instagram comment um, that he never requested a trade. This is not what he wanted. This is not what the team wanted. Daryl Morey, who was the GM at the time, had also put out, out on his Instagram page, because of me being a Rocks fan, I was scrolling through his comments and whatnot. Um, he had said that he was not going to trade Chris Paul uh, about a week after he commented on his Instagram, Chris Paul has gone to the uh, Thunder. So, you know, it comes down to what is true versus what's not coming out of these rumors. And I think we may have a similar situation here where maybe it's somebody in the Rockets. It might be Harden. It might be somebody higher up in the Rockets franchise. It's not these particular players that want out. It may just be rumor mill going. I think another example of this we saw was with Kevin Durant. There were so many rumors flying around with what team he was going to, what he was going to stay with the Warriors. He was going to go to the Knicks. Um, you know, flash forward to today, Kevin Durant never had a plan to go to the Knicks. He was never interested. He had never talked with them, according to Kevin Durant himself. Um, so it's just really hard to pinpoint where these rumors are and what's true versus what's not. And there's not a fault on Ian at all. You know, you have to try to make s- some sense of what's everything that's going on. And it's so difficult. You know, there's got to be there's got to be some sort of truth. They're not just making up these rumors for nothing. It's just really hard to pinpoint what's true versus what's not. And then, as as Ian as also mentioned, in terms of the Rockets, if Harden does want out. You know, the grass is greener on the other side. It just didn't seem it, especially with the Nets. Um, if he had issues with Russell Westbrook in terms of, of having ball dominance, how are you going to deal with that with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant? And then on top of that, as Ian has also mentioned, the, the Rockets have all the leverage here with, with Harden's contract. They're, if they're going to trade Harden, they're going to want something significant in return. It's going to have to involve, and I think rumors that came out about this, it's going to have to involve Kyrie Irving. It's going to have to involve Kevin Durant. And Nets are absolutely not going to move either of them. So that trade just doesn't work out. Uh, in terms of Russell Westbrook, I think that they have a better chance of trading him. It all comes down to a team that's going to be willing to take on his massive contract and the fact that he is aging. It seems like it's only going to be a team that can that can really afford it, A, and B, why would you want to add Russell Westbrook, again, with his contract and age, if you are a rebuilding team, which a rebuilding team is really the only team in position to trade for him. It just doesn't seem to make sense. But in terms of the Christian Wood signing, I personally really like the signing. I loved Robert Covington last season after we got him. I was a fan of Clint Capella. I was sad to see him go. But when Robert Covington came in, he was such a, a defensive presence for, for the team. He helped 
uh, shoot three. He was a really good three-point shooter. I thought he was really good for the team. I was sad to see him go. But I think with the, the pickup of Christian Wood, who was a pretty uh, good three-point shooter, uh, 6'10 center, right, really versatile, young. I think he offers a lot for this Rocket team. He offers maybe that that bigger role and then maybe you move back away from, from small ball that they were playing back to a Clint Capella type role. But he also helps extend the floor. I think he may be that that player that the Rockets really need to be that versatile team where they have a big presence in Christian Wood, but he could also shoot the three. So he's really, he's going to be versatile for the Rockets. He's young. Let's say it doesn't work out. They want to implode it. They also have a young center on contract uh, that they can help build around. Um, if, if Christian Wood does develop uh, and continues to develop it as well, he has done in Detroit. I personally really like the signing there. Um, and then going on from there, uh, John Wall, again, I think the same thing applies where it's like what's true versus what's not, you know, personally, if John Wall was going to get moved, I really like his, his position in going into the Knicks. I think the Knicks would be in a really nice position to get him. I think they can get him uh, for, for less of an impact than Russell Westbrook would have. Um, maybe move on from him sooner. And, you know, the trade values will be a little bit less. Um, so that would be better for the Knicks. And I had the same thoughts with LaMelo too, Ian. I thought LaMelo, really spectacular player on highlight films. But lo- looking at him empirically, I just don't think he's that spectacular a player yet. He definitely has a lot of potential. We saw we saw it through 12 games in, in the Australian League. Um, he was really spectacular in terms of playmaking ability. His three-point shooting was subpar. His defense was subpar. Definitely has a lot of potential. But again, I think it's that, as you said, that, that highlight that highlight tape syndrome where you just you see the highlights and you, you really think, wow. But you look at his, his career as a whole uh, between college and, and going to Lithuania. He didn't really improve. We didn't see that level of play out of him until last year. It was only a 12-game sample. His shooting was never spectacular. Uh, and his defense was never spectacular. His playmaking was, um, but is that going to be able to translate into the NBA? And is he, is he going to be able to continue to build his game? Um, that's why I was all for Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman being the first overall pick. I thought they were a lot more solid prospects. I thought they offered a lot more. Um, There's a lot more guarantee with them. I think that Warriors getting James Wiseman at, at two was huge. I think that James Wiseman was absolutely the best center, and I agree with you. It was between him and, and Edwards for me. Um, in terms of Milwaukee, I actually liked that Brogdon didn't the trade Brogdon trade didn't go through. I think it actually makes the Bucks better. I think the Bucks what they really lacked throughout last season. I think guard play it was their biggest was their biggest uh, faults. I think playmaking ability is going to be huge for them. I think keeping player like Dante Divincenzo is going to be better for them in the long run. I think they can get a player like Brogdon for maybe not sacrificing Divincenzo. Uh, but I, again, with them picking up Holiday, I do think it's a good solid pickup for them. And they are building somewhat of a, con, a contending team right there. Um, it, it all comes down to, is it going to work out? And do they, you know, with the team that they have assembled as we as we are speaking, is it going to, be, going to be enough to win a championship? I think it's possible um, if everything works out smoothly. Um, but they may need another extra piece. We'll have to see. Only time will tell. And will Giannis resign? I have no clue. Um, so that is my little rundown of the NBA. <laughs> I was on mute again. Um, okay. So I think, did we have some college stuff? We did. I just want to talk a little bit about college. Um, so, so far the college in terms of, you know, I think with the football season, I think it's going to relatively stay the same, but as we go to basketball season, we're going to see a little bit of things change. Obviously with basketball, things are indoors. So in terms of fan, fan attendance, uh, I know Villanova today, um, I think it was a week or two ago, they had announced that they were going to allow some a little bit of fans to go to the games. Uh, they retracted that today, saying they weren't. Um, obviously, that is to do with the correlates with the rising COVID cases in the U.S. 
Um, so just a little bit of a tidbit there that uh, it's going to be interesting to see how basketball season pans out with everything being indoors and with fan attendance up in the air. Uh, we know with, with football, basically it's kind of up to the teams themselves and, and decide whether they're going to have fans or not. Um, I am wondering with, with, again, with the basketball being indoors and the COVID cases rising, will the NCAA uh, take over and say, this has to be the standard for all, all teams or unfortunately, I really hope this doesn't happen, obviously, but if they decide to cancel the season as a whole because of the rising cases, really hope that doesn't happen. But uh, it's just something to look out for in terms of attendance to games. Okay. Um, so I think that about ends it for this week's podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, we're going to do a little final thoughts. Nick, any final thoughts? Uh, not much. Just a lot of content. Uh, you know, with the free agency uh, offseason that we have in draft with the NBA, uh, tons of football as we move towards the playoffs. Uh, just a lot of news the past couple, I would say the past month or so. Um, so I'm, thank you guys for sticking around with us because it is, it is our podcasts are becoming a little long. They will shorten up and we'll have a little bit more in-depth content. I think at some point, once everything, the influx of news slows down. Um, other than that, I also want to say thanks, Ian, for joining the podcast. Really insightful comments about the NBA. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed his voice as much as I did. Uh, with that being said, if you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to leave them at my email at nicholascorvath10 at yahoo.com. Again, thank you guys for listening. See you guys next week. Going to hand it back to Brian. Hey, uh, Max, any final thoughts? Uh, nothing for me. Okay. Ian, any final thoughts? Yeah. Um, I just want to say it's been fun talking with you guys. Uh, hopefully we get to do this more often. Um, I, I'd love to be on more. So. Don't be strangers. I, I I love to talk about the NBA and basketball and love to hear what you guys have to say too. We would love to have Ian on longer. Um, so other than that, do I have any final thoughts? No. Hoping. Um, actually, I don't even have anything to say. Yeah. Okay. Those are my final thoughts. We'll be back next week with another podcast. Let us know what you thought of this. If you have any comments, um, you can email us, DM us, whatever you want to do. Um, check out our videos on YouTube, our articles. Just actually while we were recording this, posted the James Harden article that Ian mentioned. Um, if you have any interest in writing for us, adding videos, any way you think could help, contact the Sport Universe 2019 at gmail.com. Other than that, thanks for listening. Bye.